democracy is a way of getting, of, of steering between these extremes, of having a government that, that exerts just enough violence to prevent people from preying on each other without preying on the people itself. One and all, welcome back for the Frenchest edition of Nissan Fichon. You're here with your host, comic Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have got Jean-Jacques Rousseau's The Confessions. He's technically a Swiss fellow claimed by the French, much like Camus, for helping aid their revolution ideologically. He's almost like their Ben Franklin. Jacques certainly caught lightning in a bottle when writing his magnum opus, The Social Contract. Might have heard of it. Jacques was born in Geneva, 1712. He had his pen in hand ready to sign the social contract as an infant. He died 1778 in France, credited with sparking the French Renaissance in philosophy. One of the biggest simps in history you're going to see today. Chasing girls through Parisian, all these fun hookup stories. We're trying to question the ethics of education, go deeper with it today. Rousseau was so out there, he would cheat on his ethics exam. He's simultaneously a bad boy. He's making his own rules. Seriously, for 2,000 years since Socrates, no one was questioning why society needed this elite, aristocratic, educated class. Traditional conservatism, like the Victorian England era, they thought that education was to make a citizen grateful for the society they're being raised in. Pretty sure that is legitimately the definition of indoctrination. Education is supposed to spark that thirst for knowledge, and Jacques had the thirst for knowledge and the thirst for the poon. This Geneva guy is the prime meridian of rational thought for the time. Yes, he's an author, but he doesn't live in the ivory tower. Most notable works from him include The Social Contract, that's 1755. He wrote On Education, he wrote Confessions in a Summary. He wrote Emile, which is still like the best book on parenting in France. Things 300 years old. We're versed on this show, so to compare him to past books, he's not one of these optimistic Greeks looking to build a utopia. And he's also not one of those pessimistic German philosophers like Friedrich or Freud. Rousseau is much like Hobbes, an Enlightenment thinker, where they saw the world through a lens of realism. His idea of the social contract is that Eh, we're humans, you know? When taken out of a state of nature, we are very easily corruptible. You want an iPhone? I gotta track your every move. And Hobbes is just like, nah, everyone's straight up evil. Trust nobody. That is Leviathan, go back and listen. Gotta be paranoid in nature, he thinks. Hobbes believes cavemen didn't have friends. Rousseau, <laughs> both of these guys need to go to a natural history museum. As Victorians, they believe the further we get from our natural state, the further we get to enlightenment. Let me ask you a quick question. <laughs> when you go to Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, do you feel closer to God than when you're at the top of a mountain? <laughs> the two biggest slangs for the cities in America are Vice City and Sin City. Freaking Newton just died, and now all these Englishmen have a watch on. They know what gravity is. They think they're going to make it to the moon. Nobody from Europe ever met a Native American. <laughs> they just assume that it's impossible for a human to live in a tent. I, you can hear it in my voice. My white guilt has been building up, I guess. I've been thinking about getting a ancient tribal tattoo. And then I remembered... I'm white. <laughs> we don't know if a stateless land can exist on the world because we imperialized the entire globe. Like, there's nowhere you can go and try a social contract-less society, so if I don't have a decision to sign it, this kind of sounds like coercion. Is that a valid ground to ratify a contract under? I do not consent. <laughs> do you just have to put this out there, or do those have to be your first words in order to not sign the social contract? <laughs> The pendulum swings, as Rousseau says, 70 years after he dies. There's heads on pikes everywhere. Hedonism is at an all-time high. Us in-betweeners, not the boomers, the zoomers, the millennials. We prefer not to swallow regurgitated information blindly, like a baby bird. You don't even have to sign a contract to join a cult, <laughs> but apparently you have to do a lot to keep up with the Jones in this one. My knickers know what's good on the show today. We have no about the author, that's why we went long on the intro. But first, this episode has been brought to you by... 
In French, when you want to say yes, you say oui, oui. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, my God. That is hysterical. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, what do you say for no, doo-doo? <laughs> hey, I'll be right back. I gotta go take a wicked yes. Patreon.com slash the niche. We are admiring nature like a good transcendentalist with those hikes. Get your memes over at Harry Schwant. Chapter 1, 0 to 16. This one takes place between 1712 and 1728. Our guy, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, is about to tell truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about himself. He states his goal is to give his readers a totally true portrait, no details left aside. Rousseau's mom, Suzanne, and his dad have an epic love story. Even though they knew each other as kids, they didn't get together until they both knew they were mature enough to handle their relationship. Sadly, Rousseau couldn't follow in these footsteps, and even sadder, his mom died in childbirth. Yeah, Jacques kills the pussy. His dad was distraught. He starts floating in and out of his life. Maybe this is what the dad deserves for trying to delay gratification. If you know you're going to marry someone, shouldn't you do it right away? I mostly get laid out of spite nowadays. <laughs> Fellas, anybody on the dating apps? It's not becoming a more inviting place. I'll take what I can get. Don't wait on these things. I've been thinking more about this 50% divorce rate. Have you heard about marriage? Have you seen this? They probably... That statistic probably means that 25% on top should be getting divorced and then just stay together. But then it doesn't account for the couples that get back together and remarried. Does that happen? The statistical anomaly should be that it's thrice the current rate. Throwing thrice on the aisle at the wedding... Being in the beginning stages of love feels good because your brain is tripping on oxytocin all day. Literally, for a year, you could be a dopehead. You can't sign a contract under the influence except a marriage contract, you know? But you could sign a social contract on a cocktail of prenatal vitamins. <laughs> Contracts. Rousseau doesn't remember a lot until his fifth or sixth birthday. What he does remember is that reading had a huge impact on him as a child. He said it gave him insight into a human passion that he couldn't have possibly had as a grade schooler. He was empathizing with his dad, who just has a dead wife and childbirth. I just read the big friendly giant, Dad. I know what you're going through. He's able to fractionally relate to the older people, and he has much more older relationships. Like He's never friends with anyone his age. Jacques had an older brother who up and disappeared early in his childhood. He's basically an only son. In hindsight, he says he's got the royal treatment from his aunts and uncles, became a bit of a bitter brat because he just had so much attention. He urinates in his neighbor's cooking pot one day to try to stir up the pot. <laughs> she was at church. He was a rascal. Without a mother, his aunt had a huge influence on his life. He still remembers her beautiful singing voice. She'd watch most of the day. And his dad went to jail for drawing his sword against a notable French captain, kind of like a police officer. There weren't any cops. You could challenge anybody to mutual combat laws. I challenge thee to a duel. The good old days when you could just friggin' <laughs> honor in the streets. True gangsterhood. The dad leaves Geneva permanently after this happens. Rousseau is an orphan. He's under the care of his kindly uncle Bernard. He's got a cousin by the same name, which isn't going to make keeping track any easier. They become friends through adulthood. The kids are sent to the village of Bossy to learn Latin from this pastor. And the pastor's wife, Madame Lombicia, lets both boys sleep in her bed regularly. So I didn't know this. I have a Roman Catholic grandma and a Protestant one. I guess in Protestant, you're allowed to be banging whores as a priest. And Roman Catholic, the ones I went to, all those guys are into little boys. we got to repress our priest's sexuality. It makes their sermons better. While it's all innocent and in the moment, Rousseau is sure that sleeping with this lady had a bad experience on him down the line. Wake up to a face full of breasts? <laughs> I'd keep my mouth shut, dude. Rousseau gets in hot water with Madame Lambissier because he broke her comb once, and everyone just assumes that Rousseau had committed the crime. He held strong to his convictions and was like, this was a huge lesson for me. If you never fess up to something, you can maintain your innocence. <laughs> Great advice. Hey, he said he's telling the whole truth here. 
Jacques and Bernard plant a walnut tree out back on a fine day, and they rig this aqueduct from a little stream to start watering it. The pastor comes back, and he just starts whacking the boys with his cane, and he stomps out the aqueduct. I don't know if there were supposed to be some layers to this story I didn't get. This pastor's probably just mad these little boys are sleeping with his wife. Hasn't gotten action in 12 years. <laughs> Jacques and Bernard are 14. They don't have play dates anymore. They hang out. In adolescence or so, started flirting with some older girls. He liked their housekeeper, Miss Gotan. She still sees him as a little kid. I thought in like 14, those kids were drumming on the Civil War lines. Miss Gotan said she saw him as a little kid, but he loved her like a man could. <laughs> She should have kept all those love letters. They would have been worth millions now. Rousseau is furious when Miss Godin ends up getting married to another guy. Classic babysitter move. You go and play with your blocks to try to blow off some steam. 15. Jacques has a brief stint as an apprentice. Well, what they called a petty fogger. Gets a job as an engraver after that and loves it. Too bad his boss accuses him of trying to forge money with the printer and maintains his innocence because he never did that. So imagine he was all pushover Jacques and he just said yes to his boss. He would have been doing time for counterfeit. Rousseau isn't guilty. However, Rousseau does learn now that you can just deny, deny, deny. He gets involved in a crime ring. He starts an asparagus stealing job. He's like, if people are going to treat me as a criminal, I might as well be one. Realizing he's becoming a little more materialistic, making some dough, he tries to rediscover the joys of lending libraries. At age 16, he remembers being constantly yelled at to make it to work on time because he was spending his nose in the books all day. Bernard got him a good new job. He's telling him, don't slip on this one. Jacques misses the drawbridge one day and just stops showing up for work entirely. Chapter 2 16 to 20. He's free as a bird. This guy is impervious to FOMO. Jacques travels abroad to Confignon. It's close to his childhood home of Geneva. He's seeking some advice from his priest, Monsignor Pontevier. Rousseau says he has a friend in town. Down on his luck, the priest refers him to a innkeeper, Mademoiselle Warren. She'll definitely take a big part in this story, and she's taken pity on all of Rousseau's jobless friends. The first day Rousseau catches a glimpse of the mademoiselle, he is instantly starstruck. This bitch has divine beauty. It could stop a chariot car. While Jock's living there, he's traveling to Turin to see if he could drum up some work. Runs into his long-lost dad while he's job hunting. The dad pretended he didn't recognize him. And <laughs> he's like, I never had a family. I've been going out for milk and cigarettes every single morning. And Jacques sees if he doesn't commit to something, he's going to end up like his dad. And with the help of Miss Warren, he is admitted into a community of converts to Catholicism. He's Protestant at the time, but he's willing to fib in order to get this special treatment. Rousseau figures he won't actually have to fully convert so he could play this little game of cat and mouse and live off the church <laughs> we only help the beggars if they're baptized he undergoes a rough inquisition to receive absolution from a crime of heresy and this was when he was 18 that monsignor had to give him like a super redemption because he hooked up with a girl when he was 14 you can't have sex before marriage if you die a virgin. <laughs> After he passes this church test, he basically gets a stimulus package. And he's going, it's time for me to hang out for a bit. Hit up those lending libraries. Of course, you're supposed to be spreading the good word of Catholicism. While wandering around the city, he's meeting pretty saleswomen. One was named Madame Basil. She's married. That doesn't stop Rizzo from flirting with her. It was written that Jacques threw himself on his knees to try to plea for a kiss, and she denied him, gave him a hand kiss while he was down on the ground. She invites Rousseau to dinner to introduce him to one of her priest friends. This guy is, like, giving him the cold shoulder the entire time. Rousseau is dropping questions with all these priests around the dinner table. So how strict are these Ten Commandments? Covet means to steal your neighbor's wife. Can I covet third base? <laughs> Dinner erupts when the priest can't hold his tongue. He's like, are you Protestant? What the hell is going on here? Why are you flirting with this girl? Hey, are you watching after your wife here? This is not what us Protestants do. 
He actually fucking blew up an entire dinner just by flirting with the lady. <laughs> Are you trying to fuck my wife? Through the back channels, this priest is able to get Rousseau kicked out of his church dwelling. Too much fun and games. Luckily, Rousseau lands a job at the Countess de Vesile's house. It's a better job than he's ever had. The old lady is dying, so he just has to wipe her butt a couple times and he can write all day. He becomes her scribe. As young Rousseau is starting to think a lot about sex, he's exploring this underground passage in town where a lot of the girls would go to hang out, and he's having failed attempts at pickups. He said a big guy with a sword caught him trying to be rude to a girl, and he's like, that's not how you could talk to a woman. Rousseau's like, this is the closest I've ever got to being with a woman by big dicking her. Big dick energy? You mean you like to be objectified, miss? That's okay. He tells this guy, oh, I'm just this young nobleman. I'm the son of someone really big up, and I'm suffering from a mental disorder. <laughs> Whenever this stranger now sees him about town, he makes fun of him. Now he's got those two Protestant priests, probably that husband who wants to kill him, and this guy who just laughs at him for hitting on girls. He ruins a lot of these towns he goes to. <laughs> Rousseau gets close with a vicar named Bishop Game, who gives him some solid advice. <laughs> he says it was life advice, but this is Bishop Game. This might as well be Neil Strauss. See, what you need to do is neg these French mademoiselles, and you're halfway there. <laughs> he gets referred to another count for his ability to improve on writings. So he punched up the game. He becomes an editor and a scribe for the Catholic Church. This is the LinkedIn for the time, <laughs> the Catholic Church. He's going to meet everybody. Eventually, he gets fired for not acting aristocratic enough. This obviously influences writings to come. The reasoning was that he was acting like a pompous fool. Young guy, he wants to see the world. He doesn't want to try to rein it in and act like he's 50. He makes plans to travel with his old pal, Bockel. The two of them go back to live with Mademoiselle Warren. Rousseau and her have a nice little reunion. He's got his sponsorship from the church. She's kicking him some dough. He's ready to go travel. Rousseau told her that he wasn't a virgin anymore, and he said she was happy to hear about it, although she made him do several prayers. Writes about his reading habits increasing while living with Mademoiselle. His friend was interviewing for jobs. Flunks the lawyer exam himself. Flunks a doctor exam. Miss Warren is starting to think he's not a total idiot. He also might not be smart enough to actually do anything worthwhile. She's talking about the author of Emile here. Rousseau tells her in confidence he has a tough time developing ideas because it takes him a long time to develop anything worthwhile he's writing. It's not really an excuse of substance. Maybe a perfectionist. And he'll tie this up in the last chapter. There's a really good, like, final words he has about all these unfinished projects. Miss Warren devises a plan to send him away to a seminary. He goes, hates his Latin teacher, quits after his teacher got a girl pregnant. So he sees behind the whole illusion is shattered. You're definitely not supposed to be hooking up as a Sanskrit teacher. There's a miracle that happens the following week. Miss Warren's neighbor's house caught on fire. And Jacques was home writing at the time, so I was getting a little bit hot. Goes outside, see the neighbor is in a blaze. He sits where he is and says a prayer to God to blow the wind in the opposite direction. Mrs. Warren comes home and is like, the houses are practically touching. How did you just get away with this? And she's in debt to him for his ability to get in contact with God. Ms. Warren loves to throw these weekly musical parties. This was super influential to Jacques in this 16 to 19 age. End of the chapter here, he met a choir master, Mr. Matier. He starts teaching him basic scales. Jacques travels with him as a traveling musician. Warren sees that he's moving away from the disciplines, the academia. Jacques continuing to travel around and meet new companions when he finally returns to Miss Warren's. She up and moved to Paris. Didn't even leave a note. Chapter 3, 20 to 26. With Mama gone, Rousseau feels especially bad for abandoning the music guy in Lyon. Rousseau tries to distract himself with one of Miss Warren's friends. Now that they want him, he's over it. She told all the other cougars how good of a lover that he is, and now they all want him and he's above it, so now they want him even more. On a whim, Rousseau journeys into the country to see the sunrise, 
he meets with Ventura, one of his music buddies, and they start hitting the countryside together. They're just going around teaching people basic scales, and they're making enough money to take women out. They run into a couple of Miss Warren's friends on horseback, their church friends, LinkedIn in person. He can't help but to take a liking to the cuter one, Miss Galley. After Rousseau helps him cross a stream, the ladies jokingly tell Rousseau he's got their prisoner of war. This is like some old French, you are a lover, a soldier on the battlefield of love. They stop in Torn for dinner at this old castle. Miss Galley gives him a kiss by the end of the night, but says she would never do anything more with someone so dirt poor. Rousseau and Ventura have to pack up and move along, and Rousseau actually writes a letter to Miss Galley's friend, Graffenfeld, whatever it was that Ventura was hooking up with, and she wrote a letter back and was like, come back to this little inn that we're staying at. He ditches Ventura for a bit and goes and gets some hand action from Miss Graffenfeld. <laughs> I told you this guy was a simp. He would travel half a country on horseback just to get a hand job. <laughs> Rousseau is getting more lucky traveling with Ventura than he was when he was like hitting on girls by himself down by the creek. Mademoiselle Mirset takes Rousseau under his wing as a traveling companion and she goes back and introduces him to her father so the ladies are loving him he's emanating the mojo right now he did mention here from 20 to 26 he had trouble closing so i guess he's not that much of a womanizer um <laughs> i guess it must have been harder to close when everybody was wearing corsets and god was their only insurance policy you know, this guy was on a different playing field. <laughs> Maybe Bishop Game had it right. <laughs> they said that. The priests for all of history were like rock stars. They were the only ones that knew how to read. Bishop Game, teach me your ways. <laughs> on the way back to meet up with Ventura, he stops at this beautiful Lausanne Lake. This is one of his like moments in life that he got in touch with his inner monologue. He also said a less helpful revelation came out from this stop he thinks his luck will change if he changes his name goodbye rousseau he is now vassoir de villeneuve when him and ventura are back together he's like yeah that's a superstar name dude <laughs> he doesn't tell him it's garbage after their cross-country ride rousseau meets with a man with a large beard at a dining inn this guy is a greek priest and he asks jock along a tour of jerusalem Jacques does wind up going, doesn't write about it in the confession because he has a book about it, and he had to stop at the French ambassador to get permission to go abroad. And he's like, why have you been floating around so much? The ambassadors have been hearing your name, Jacques, and that's not a good thing. This guy's an artist. He just wants notoriety, so he took that in the wrong direction. You don't want to be um, going off the king's highway. He's put up in a room where another famous writer is staying. This lights a fire under him to start writing again in his 20s, and it lasted less than a year. But he said during that manic episode, he accomplished some of the blueprints for his later works. And he's yearning to see Paris still. The guy's been to the Middle East, and he still hasn't been to his country's capital. Capital. He goes and makes friends with a lady, Madame Mervaux, who takes him to Paris for the first time but lets him know some bad news. Miss Warren left the city long ago. He felt displaced in Paris himself. He said for the first time in his life, men were propositioning him for sex. The gay underbelly of Paris in the 1700s. Who knew? You feel the discomfort. I said in the intro, the closer you get to MLK Boulevard, if you've ever been to LA, every single square foot of this city, this metropolis, has been commercialized. Does that sound like some divine, eminent domain? <laughs> not very close to God. And you'll walk down West Hollywood Boulevard, you're going to get at least five offers for gay sex. Rousseau isn't loving it. Not isn't dining on frog legs, having in-between meals. This Madame Rousseau convinces someone to give him a livelihood in the city, and it became a major life moment. Should I stay or should I go, he's saying. He apologizes to the reader for including so many of these stories and like anxious disputes but they stick out to him over time he said it's the first day of the rest of his life he starts a career as a king's surveyor and he moved out to Annecy got the job there because he heard that Miss Warren was still living there 
She's so happy to see him. Oh, you tracked me down. It's meant to be. He scores big, gets a beautiful room in her house. <laughs> it's not like he's ready to take care of her or anything. He's a 20-year-old. Unfortunately, she had a new lover, this young guy named Claude Annette. He's known for gardening and making a killer breakfast. Ms. Ward is basically running a reverse brothel. This is um, She just finds the youngest guy she thinks has potential and hooks up. Does this still exist? I need the Cougar Grant. Rousseau convinces Miss Warren to put on concerts for rising musicians, and he becomes the most loved monthly event in Annecy, until the emperor says we're not taking the king's charity. All these little city-states in France have emperors, and they're constantly at disagreement with the uh, president of France, the king. Since they're fighting so much, they're not going to get any of these artistic grants to fund Rousseau. With the success of the events, Jacques persuades her to let him quit his job and devote his life fully to the arts. Jacques is inviting students to the house daily to teach them music. They all turn out to be pretty girls. Hmm. Pretty baller move. <laughs> He's trying to make her jealous. <laughs> Jacques starts dating the grocer's daughter, and her mom falls in love with Jacques as well because she was friends with Miss Warren, and she must have heard about the secret trick he has in the sack. Miss Warren's luckily distracted, building her royal botanical garden. He is throwing it around Annecy. Could be a miracle or a tragedy. One day, Alette Claude keeled over from heat exhaustion in the garden. <laughs> Doesn't wake up. Next morning, Jacques gets to make a breakfast for everyone. He's like, so, what's up with Claude? That guy had to keep his coat on outside. Rousseau just slid into the best position ever. He's the lover. He's got control of the monetary affairs. He's the new head of the brothel. He takes a little bit of time to travel with Ventura. His traveling trunk is confiscated because they find evidence that Rousseau is reading heretical material. He's fined a ton, just loses a big chunk of Mrs. Warren's wealth. Why would a guy like Rousseau sign a social contract that gets him arrested for reading? Rousseau notices when he takes place in the state-sanctioned gambling, he gets sick, and this will come up later in his life. It's a distraction, and it's not uh, relieving his stress. Miss Warren nurses him back to health. They need to get out of Annecy. The couple is enjoying the weather at their new estate in Les Chaumets. Jacques suddenly is stricken with a mysterious illness. He's like throbbing arteries. He's got whistling in his ears. Goes through a slow recovery. But this is a good time for him and Miss Warren. It's a couple of years. They just debate religion together. He begins seriously dedicating himself to reading. He says this was more useful for writing a book than sitting in a room with a pen. We're talking geometry, Latin, philosophy. He's not reading Bushcraft 101. He writes these were some of the best days of his life. Reading, writing, walking the garden with his lady. Let's go to chapter 4, 26 to 32. Around the years of 1738 to 1744, Ms. Warren is encouraging him to go find a decent doctor in Montpellier. So Rousseau obliges. He meets a couple girls traveling along the way, gives them whatever disease he's been harboring, gave a couple ones fake addresses, fake numbers. <laughs> he returns. He's been replaced again by Rousseau 3.0. Ms. Warren is like, you're only after me for my money. So she's trying to make him jealous. Rousseau after this heartbreak, he swears things are going to be different. I'm going to stop leaving her because there's a pattern here. He starts writing a journal, and it becomes the confessions. But that's pretty wild. So up to this point forward, we're getting more accurate information. Before that, he admitted the confessions was just from memory. Rousseau says he's going to try to hit up Paris for real now. He brings his recently written comedy Narcissus to market around also came across an important paper on the Academy of the Sciences at the time. This nudged him in the direction of critical thought, not music. This time around, now that Rousseau has something to sell, there's all these hoity-toity literary men in Paris trying to get close and acquaintance him. Rousseau's money is about to run out when he meets Madame Bezuenval. She's got money. She's cool. She's sponsoring Rousseau's musical pursuits. He's faced plenty of rejection in his time. She sees he's ready to make the jump or whatever. Sets him up working for a count. Unfortunately, not count game. Rousseau becomes like a uh, 
personal assistant and he's fed up with the count he's like yelling at him you're not churning the butter right the last straw the count flew into a rage accusing rousseau of stealing his cipher and again this is rousseau's least favorite thing being treated like a criminal for no reason he mocks the count to his face the guy tries to have rousseau arrested for a fictional crime rousseau has to post bail this ate up a bunch of the money that he made and has to take a boat back to one of his girlfriends in one of the suburb towns told the story about having a lot more fun in these outer suburbs he hooked up with a prostitute who had a malformed nipple very polite this for the rest of history now this girl is remembered as wonky tit sex worker <laughs> and he also had a story about being unable to hook up with an italian prostitute you want to hear the stories that he's leaving out right returns to paris madame benezuel is pissed that he burnt that bridge for her working for the count and yeah just the same exact thing as what happened with miss warren he's starting to fall for younger girls Teresa, the virgin he's mused by her and starts writing an opera chapter 5 33 to 40 narcissus obviously went nowhere and it's because he thinks he doesn't have a bigger name behind it back in paris though now he's meeting up with bigger names this guy voltaire has a half-baked opera that rousseau helps finish publishes his own opera after helping voltaire which bombs again two fails even though voltaire's is doing well his dad is dying takes some time out of the game to go say goodbye to a guy that denies his existence 1747 rousseau and teresa go to hang out at a royal mansion as the guest of monsignor dupin you know back from the nunnery days they spend more time in his hometown than they thought rousseau just starts getting fat off of good food and he makes this joke about him and teresa getting fat together because she's about to have a baby obviously doesn't like that he can't get kicked out of the dinner table with his own girlfriend and with his own monsignor dupin that's only if it's protestants and you're hitting on someone's wife jacques old friend in paris diderot landed in the slammer after publishing some blasphemous works dupin says the religious community found it exceptionally heretical and jacques knew he was working on an encyclopedic dictionary so they're not really arresting him for his work. Rousseau suspects that they're arresting him because he's friends with Jacques. He knows his buddy isn't going to fare well with the hardened criminals there. Rousseau asks Monsignor to put a good word in through the church. And through the back channels, Diderot is released. There's this dramatic movie-style meeting between the two of them back in their hometown. Big deal here. The same week Rousseau came across a question in a newspaper he said changed his life. It read, Has the progress of science and art done more to corrupt morals or improve them? This is the question of the intro I was bringing up, the purification of morals, they called it in the Enlightenment. When we do more science, we become less hedonistic and blasphemous. <laughs> but some science in 2021 is blasphemy. It's a really big question, man, and it still holds today. Has the progress of science done more to corrupt morals or improve them? Now that we have progressed to hypodermic needles, we're tempted to stick them into each other's arms. Is that moral? I did a criminal justice degree. We talked about state penitentiary a lot, 1700s. Their science was prison. They think they can reform people because they don't have lab rats. They only have people to try things out on. Some people would come out fixed, and then a lot of people would recidivize. Is it the people that are causing it, or what's the effect? Is it causation or correlation of you putting someone in a hole? Obviously, Diderot didn't go back to crime because he was a thinking individual. Can we fix the mongoloids? Rousseau wrote here his response to this question Putting people in a cell with the deranged isn't spiritually reforming them. It's corrupting their morals and distracting their pursuit of truth. With that state penitentiary, they had this cutting-edge circular design that is supposed to have you reflect by looking at the panopticon and all the other prisoners. This is like their cutting-edge science. They're trying to cure terrorism and... I'm a terrorist now because I don't want the government pedigree. You know what I'm saying here? I can't even use the fucking words or I'll get demonetized. 
the further we get in science, we think we can cure the spread of things. Even though if you have a black nation, you can spread the Delta variant. Hmm. We get better at reforming people's brains and we think we're able to control the spread of ideas. Think about it. It's blasphemy. This was the start of the Enlightenment. <laughs> you gotta stay in your house. You're not allowed to meet up at the Green Tavern like the Founding Fathers were. I know these are wide comparisons, but you gotta bring it up to date. Is trying to squash terrorism in the Middle East disturbing their pursuit of truth? <laughs> Do you think us going over there and trying to fix the terrorism is making them more aligned with truth? The amount of suicide and veterans make you question, what are we doing over there? Are we helping? That's political science at its best right there, geoengineering. Rousseau is writing these passionate essays just off of this one question that he came across. Sent a few off for publication that had zero traction. Sends a couple letters out to uh, Voltaire and was like, yo, keep your eye out for me. I'm going to start sending a lot more packets. And he had Diderot punch up one of these writings with his experience from jail. So he's got some actual citations. This is age 33 to 40. He pops out three out of his five kids. And he writes here, again, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I neglected most of my kids to do a lot of the blueprints for my writings in this time. <laughs> Just like, he reminds the reader, hey, you might not like it, but winners are going to ignore this small detail. Small. He takes a job as a cashier to help support the kids, becomes more ill than usual from working. Since he's working so much, he says he starts gambling again which catalyzes his disease, whatever that was, comes back. Teresa in Rousseau's apartment gets robbed by a man who looks suspiciously like Teresa's black sheep brother. When things go bad, they all go bad at once, he says. Has a stroke of luck. His article response gets published. Sends a big thank you to Diderot and Voltaire. Rousseau gets into his head that it's time to finally try to create his comic opera. He's so passionate about it, he writes the whole piece in six days. <laughs> Garbage. I can write entire book reviews in six days. Come on, spend some time on this thing, Rousseau. I thought you were a perfectionist. <laughs> to prevent another flop, he goes back to his pseudonym, Volte de the Village, whatever it was. Opening day, Rousseau hangs out around a cafe to hear what people think about his opera. And people were going, the writing was impeccable. The acting, the singing, was barely listenable. The king sends out for Rousseau. He wants to know who wrote this amazing play. Rousseau hears rumor that he's going to be offered a pension. He also hears a rumor he might be getting the guillotine for a blasphemous line. <laughs> so he decides to not go to the meeting with the king. Because honestly, that's a lose-lose. Oh, he gets the pension? You're just becoming indebted to a king. It's like Thomas Hobbes, they gave him that sweet deal. Go move to the Isle of Jersey. You get a big pension, but you're never allowed to write again. They start tacking on these little stipulations. And like I said before, as an artist, he just wanted to have his work seen by as many people as possible. Guy didn't have the internet. It's kind of a lose-lose. Why would you do anything that might risk you having your tongue cut out? You can't say blacks and nations on this show. Rousseau becomes the first guy in French history to deny the invitation from a king, directly disobeying this guy. He's at odds again. Did I just deny the kingmaker, the one thing you could do for your career that puts it to the highest stratosphere? Or maybe he's thinking denying the king's invitation is going to result in this artistic aura, a mysterious guy. We still don't know who wrote the best play at the moment. And he won't even see the king. Pretty badass move. Chapter 6. 41 to 50. 1753, the Dijon Academy proposes that Rousseau starts making mustard. They give him a new topic to write about, the inequality of mankind. Rousseau's famous essay on inequality comes out of this vacation they pay for. He decides to return to his Protestant roots. He's trying to give up on all that materialism once again, having a rebirth in his 40s. He's staying out of Paris because he thinks Voltaire is going to stir up a revolution with his new writings. It was so funny because it did things like Slight the King, an old type of Shakespeare play. And he's like, Voltaire? I don't know what that guy is always up to in the city, why he loves Paris so much. 
he is drumming up the visionaries and he thinks he's doing so with his comic opera honestly didn't see the revolt on the horizon we're freaking 20 years from the french revolution here rousseau has become like i said they're benjamin franklin he's a fictional character he's they say true gangsters move in silence like this guy accidentally made all the right moves <laughs> historians think voltaire dragged him back into the city for some of the big events you hear about riots for most of this period of his life his 40s he was hanging out in geneva with ventura trying to hook up with anybody but his wife anticlimactically rousseau writes to the king begging for a pardon there were still like warrants out <laughs> he discovers for that time that he had a nudie mag in his traveling chest and so he's like i know i turned down your thing king but so i stay on your radar here how about you wipe all those old charges gets ignored by the king just wants to send him a little taste of his own medicine rousseau moves to the most rural part of france and he just tries to chill out write calls it the hermitage turns his attention to a book he's been itching to write for years political institutions he wants to answer the age-old question what is law how did we make it so far without laws meanwhile jacques receives a copy of voltaire's poem on the lisbon earthquake they're sending letters back to each other and he writes to voltaire you're portraying god as a malicious being why are you saying that god is doing acts of violence maybe god thought the sins of lisbon needed to be checked <laughs> theoretical argument not like we could prove what god is thinking but we could definitely prove god has made some pretty devilish things <laughs> this letter exchange about the earthquake becomes voltaire's novel candide one of his most notable dialogues these guys like created podcasts together rousseau gets busy writing a book with two women characters complete opposites of one another smitten by a new innkeeper madame de houdetat stays in her cottage for too long he has kids at this point it's kind of unacceptable he's telling the truth gotta appreciate it diderot writes to rousseau to advise him strongly he should travel elsewhere because those warrants never got turned over they found out where he is in the countryside mid-40s and now he's starting his life as an outlaw jacques starts experiencing urinary infections as soon as he leaves the hermitage there you go a little bit of universe evening out this guy's thirst the slurring continues after he left de Houdetat is sending him from the papers all these like slanders being written up about him so he's reaching some new level of recognition in france he's like a household name coming around to his late 40s rousseau is just floating around he's on a big roll french bread roll with dijon that is he publishes in 1759 julie this gets him offered a position in the journal of learning and he's thinking maybe i should give up literature now that they're asking me to be part of the academy i'm probably doing something wrong what was it uh mark twain goes when you find yourself on the side of the majority it is time to pause and reflect <laughs> rousseau's book political institutions he's going did i just give the state ammunition to build these new chambers of maybe he needs to focus on those comic operas and those the broad city <laughs> script whatever it is imagine a 1700 broad city in paris get word that diderot was thrown in a bastille again being an acquaintance of a heretic <laughs> running with the wrong crowds maybe if rousseau was downtown paris he would have been thrown in jail and unable to make some of these bigger writings rousseau for this occasion actually went into paris to get him out of the bastille that sounds like the most eventful thing there was a prison break they both escaped to montmorsigny and tried to write even more jacques is safe he's able to pull a couple strings julie gets published and becomes a national bestseller now in Monta Miserini, whatever, I'm going to get butchered for the way I said every single name on the show today. It's not made clear why, but a prince is sent to Jacques' house. And from what he wrote, it seemed like a shakedown. The prince was very happy to hear that his final book was published as Jacques. And that's just how the publishers were marketing. Jacques' last bestseller. Jacques was able to keep it chummy with this weird inner circle guy but he's um 
paranoid to say the least. Julie becomes a national bestseller and he's reassuring the guy, yeah, I'm done writing. So the prince leaves a couple months later. He publishes the social contract. He's sending letters back and forth to the state. He's going, technically, I didn't lie to the investigator because I wasn't writing it at the time. It was already mostly written. Revising isn't technically writing. <laughs> he's getting off on a technicality, and he's able to send off the social contract by a cunt hair. He's fucking eking out the biggest writing he's ever had before he gets castrated. This literally is a magnum opus. Not every artist has one. In Greek terms, it means when talent, skill, and hard work line up at the right place in the right time, which amount to one's greatest life achievement. I would say, <laughs> all the fucking wandering, whatever this guy was up to, that the way he learned in childhood to maintain his innocence rather than incriminating himself to that prince was able to perfectly formulate into the social contract coming out. And like I said, it was the biggest press buzz, Rousseau's final book, and now they followed up with his most important one, the social contract. And you already know, people, that's going to be on this show, and we'll probably do Emile and all those other big ones. Just going to start it with some Rousseau. In almost divine nature, Rousseau's health starts to decline at a rapid pace. Brings us to chapter 7, our final one, 51 to 53. 1763 to 65 were the last years of his life. Think about that, guys. He dies at 53 years old. Magnum P.I. He wants to make sure the social contract doesn't get pulled or edited posthumously. So he's like meeting up with Voltaire and a couple other guys saying, memorize this fucking book. I don't want it to be edited. I barely eked this thing out and I've been working on it my entire life. <laughs> and so now he knows he's like on the shit list. The state is trying to pin him for any crime that he can. And they have been since he was 19. They knew who he was. <laughs> Remember, he met the guy from the state. We've been hearing about you, even though you want to go to Jerusalem. So now that he's 50, he has reached the highest level of antagonism that the crown is capable of. <laughs> Emile is published because he's like, fuck it, man. If I'm going to be, again, treated like a criminal, I might as well publish like one. Not as big of a hit, but that one is going to grow to be bigger than basically any of his other works. Again, it's about parenting. Rumors that Emile is an attack on religion start to emerge. This is the deepest doo-doo you could get in with the crown. Rousseau gets word that Paris courts are intending to prosecute him for use of blasphemy in a meal. Definitely got to read that one. So he flees to his homeland of Geneva. He can't be taken to court there. He's not even in France. He learns abruptly he's no longer welcome in his hometown. They have a ceremony the first week he's in town where they burn his book. A warrant is issued for his arrest in the symbolic ceremony. Rousseau is fleeing his birth town for safety. He's starting to realize that Therese is no longer into him that much. <laughs> King, if she can't handle you at Angry Mob, she doesn't deserve you at Emile. Or maybe it's the syphilis that he probably gave her. <laughs> he writes a teethy quote at this time. All women possess the art of concealing their anger, even when it is strong. He doesn't leave, and the city council passes a degree of censor against Rousseau. So he has like a little Sunday column in the newspaper that they hit him off on as well. He got banned off of Twitter even. The Archbishop of France is sending letters to him trying to lure him back in. The Academy of Sciences wants you now at double their original offer. It's a dark time. He doesn't know who to trust. He's starting to work on his Dictionary of Music. He's finishing up the confessions. As a final F.U. to France, he renounces his citizenship. And you still see all the Frenchmen trying to claim him as an author. I mean, it's not the men who kicked him out. It's Voltaire, the people who wanted him in the city. It's the municipality, go figure, that ostracized him. Call him whatever you want. Uh, I like the prime meridian of rational thought. It's a pretty good nickname if you're introducing him at a show makes one friend that doesn't turn out to be a spy. The townsfolk of Geneva start to throw rubbish at his house. Rocks start getting thrown at his window. He figures it's time for him to leave. He got a letter from Lord Walpole, the 
emperor of this island of Saint Pierre off the coast of France. It wasn't more than a couple weeks until the governor of the island rules that everybody in the territory has to be a France resident. So they're doing these sneaky laws just to single him out. Not specified if this was done illegally or legally, but Rousseau immigrates to England where he could find some land to die in peace. Final notes. He's saying he's satisfied that he took a shot in life. If he lamented over the fact that his dad never took part in his life, he would have just been more sad for it. He said he's still mad, though. Maybe if he studied harder, he could have gotten to writing sooner. He's happy he got to try to write an opera. He's happy he got to try to take so many women to see the opera. He mentioned the regret he saw in other people's face and doubt as being corrosive. Some pretty powerful stuff you're getting from the guy, Final Words. That's like uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, believe you can, and you're halfway there. He also said, when you're at the end of the rope, tie a knot in the end and hold on. Or if you remember that stop knot from Bushcraft 101, tie a slip knot in the end and huh. I like to read those uh, near-death accounts, people on their deathbed, stuff like that, and it's pretty universal what he's saying there. Who knows if there are things he wrote in his final words that didn't get published like maybe he said yeah i hope i i wish i wrote even more inflammatory stuff to try to help more people see the truth really great language here i suggest it and it was an 800 page book so i'm admitting to you an hour into the show here yes i did skip a couple chapters i mean i got the heavy hitting notes of it we got a couple fun stories here today learned about what it was like to live on the countryside of france in 1700 this is how revolutions build this is how censorship takes place. Great themes from this book today. Now that he's told you the whole truth, Jacques says you can finally judge him. Thank you, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, for such a bold life. A special thank you today to the Patreon listeners. Those supporters are keeping the train moving along. We're doing more of these biography styles over there. Go check out the page. Like I said, Social Contract Emile, we're definitely going to have his bigger works here on the program next week on the show we have a clone of your own we are doubling down on ethics how much god should we be playing as humans the further we get into science are we really getting more moral are we using gain-of-function research to save lives or create bioterroristic weapons Classic science fiction here. We're questioning cloning. What would you even do with a clone? Do you want one? We have further books to come, like The Cloning Debate. So this is going to be a preface show, and it was written with um, cultural references. So we're talking Frankenstein's monster. A lot of fun. Thank you, ladies and germs. I will see you next week. My name is Nick Munez. Take it easy out there.